So I think when we look at trust, there is always kind of three things that try to influence trust. Trust is basically an emotion that you, you are trying to generate. It's always difficult because everything is digital and there is no human in front of you, right, when you are building. So we need to, as a design gatekeeper, kind of balance between the right timing, amount of information at the right timing. There's going to be too much trust, but it's just not good timing and it's going to be too much cognitive load. Hello and welcome to Shine, a podcast by Star. My name is Tom Hunt, your host, and today we have an intriguing episode for you. We're going to be illuminating the need and how we can build trust through design in fintech products. And to enable us to illuminate this topic, we're joined by Shalika Hanoum, a senior UX designer here at Star, Masaki Tanaka, senior manager of interaction design and UX strategy at Payde, and director of product design, Adam Fido, Vincent Julevic. So the big idea here is, do we actually need to build more trust when working in fintech? And so in this discussion, we cover whether that is the case, whether it's possible to build too much trust through design with users of fintech products, and then of course, how to build that trust through design. So let's jump right in. And the first voice you'll hear will be that of Masaki, or as he likes to be known, Maki Tanaka. Hi, I'm Maki Tanaka. I am the senior manager of the interaction design team uh, here at Payde in Japan. And we are essentially a buy now, pay later application service. And we work uh, very closely with our product owners cross-functionally to build uh, service and improve design and whatnot, as well as work and jump into with our engineering team. And we work very closely within the Sprint team to uh, get things pretty much running. Hi, everyone. So I'm Shalika. I'm a senior UX designer in STAR and also the global fintech contact person. I'm based in Frankfurt, Germany. And previously, I was working just focused also on fintech, so portfolio management, insurtech, payment system. And yeah, so I bring my uh, UX, UI expertise to our international customers in STAR. Hi, everyone. My name is Vincent. I'm director of product design at Onfido. We do identity verification using just a picture of your document and your face. And I've built the team here and led the team for the last five years and a half. Amazing, guys. And first, I want to start off with a little bit of context for the audience. For people that may not have too much experience in design or possibly in fintech, but why is it more important for us as fintech designers to build trust in our applications, maybe than other applications that don't involve people's finances or financial information? And to kick off, I'd like to go to Shalika. I would say so trust in general, it's always like a center or focus of any consumer and product relationship. In, in any digital products that we design. Uh, however, seeing fintech, uh, fintech application involves customers' money. It handles my money. It can be impacting my money now or my financial health later on in the future. And a lot of fintech products also now offer new or entirely innovative way in handling money, like handling my savings or transaction of my money. And this both combination that it's handling something very personal and it's also handling the personal things in a, in a really innovative way or a really foreign way makes it then harder for us to build trust for an entirely new fintech brand or fintech product. So that's why I think it's uh, more important for us to, to really pay attention and trust in uh, fintech applications. Right. Trust is definitely uh, something that we uh, pay the concentrate very hard on. And I think as a designer, trust is something that uh, not just within fintechs, right? But as a, if you're designing an app, that it trust is something that always comes into your mind. We have a ethical responsibility 
to our users that the thing that we make and release out to the world is safe, right? And that is something that I particularly and our team uh, concentrate very hard on, which is the safety of our applications. Uh, just because that we are, yes, dealing with money, safety is very important. And that is something that uh, to our users and from our user, we, we, we get a lot of complaints through the app, uh, reviews and whatnot, right? So we always try to answer to those uh, uh, pain points and build applications with the right amount of information from the get-go so that when users come into our app, they exactly know what they're getting and what they're trying to do within the app to achieve the things that they want to do. And ethical responsibility, Vincent, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I think to try to build on what has been said, I think the relationship with money and financial is very important, right? It's kind of a sense of liberty, sort of, because you are able to buy a house, you are able to get a roof on your head, to eat, to do whatever you want with money. And through the history, it's also something that we know has been moving from hand to hand and stolen many times. So there is also a sense of fear with that, that we we encode from, from a young age, just looking at history. So I think it's a bit more sensitive with that aspect than any other things. And uh, I think the businesses need to take care of that. It's really, really important for them to protect the money of users, ensure their safety. So yeah, they bring much more value for users doing so. For sure. So now we understand why it's important for fintech designers to build trust. I think it would be great for each of you to share with the audience just an example of how you or your teams have been able to build trust with an end user through design, just to make it very clear like what we're actually talking about. Mackie, I'd love to come to you to understand how you have potentially done this previously. Right. Maybe I could give a little bit of background on some of the service that we offer from PayD, right? So PayD as a service being buy now, pay later service, what user can do is essentially with their phone number and email address, they could sign up to PayD through the merchant checkout and then essentially buy anything that they want with just their uh, phone number and uh, email address. That is our model, kind of, where there is no mendokusai, which is in Japanese, there is no kind of friction or things that is bothersome. It's super easy. And that no mendokusai kind of sums it up. What we do here at Payde, that, and to that, it's super easy. In a sense, we almost made it super easy that uh, there are some fears around this. <laughs> we offer a tiered uh, level kind of offering where this normal level of service, they could essentially write uh, by with the email address and phone number. But there's the plus kind of um, premium level where if they provide with us their credential through whether or not, whether that is driver license or my number card in Japan, which is kind of like a social security identification for the whole country, right? Through that, they could essentially go into this premium uh, service that we provide. And to that, they instantly get a credit line with us, right? So we become more card issuer than uh, instant kind of credit for every time they go through a checkout. But there's a huge hurdle in this, <laughs> and that people are very protective about their personal information. And even more so in, here in Japan, I think. But I'm sure, you know, it really differs from country to country. But particularly in the Japanese market, they're very protected about their information and rarely provide this kind of, you know, personal identification, kind of like this, uh, my number card. So to this, we provide a lot of uh, touch point to communicate to our users that, you know, by giving us this information, we are able to offer these kind of services, as well as how these information is being used and stored 
And if we don't need it, you know, it's deleted. So I think this really comes very close to our partners who does the EKYC process, right? Where that personal information is just being used at that point and it's not you know, really stored within the R service database and whatnot. So that kind of trust and communicating the trust at the right time is super important as a designer to kind of pinpoint where that should be. Makes total sense. Shirika, can I pass that question straight over to you? Yes. So for me, I was part of a design team for a robo-advisor and financial planning uh, application uh, called evergreen.de. They're a startup based in Leipzig. I was working on with uh, this team around three years ago. And back then, it was uh, quite the rise of RoboAdvisor everywhere, also in Germany. And how people invest here uh, usually is that you just go to a, a person, like a financial advisor or a bank, and uh, you go there, get asked some questions. In the end, you get your finance assessed, and then you get recommendations on what to buy, how long you should put your money in these products, and so on. And the pain points from user interviews that we had back then when creating this new venture, uh, Evergreen, was that uh, people usually, usually don't know why they're asked these questions. And after knowing more about how the investment work in Germany is that we always end up having like risk profile. So number from one to seven, this is showing how risk averse I am. Uh, if I want to actually invest in five years, I want to buy something or like fund families, uh, education or something like that. Or if I actually want to uh, invest more for my retirement, which is in 30 years and what evergreen Evergreen's idea with the product is that they actually want to make this more transparent. What does this risk profile actually mean? And make the whole idea of investing to be more friendlier or like closer to the person's goals or life. So instead of saying investing, that's why we call a lot of products now financial planning, because first, a lot of users see investment as you're putting your money in stocks and then you would lose money. But financial planning is more giving the idea that you are saving towards certain goal and the goal should be something close to your life. So buying a house or buying a car or funding kids' education or retirement. And that's what Evergreen offer. They created this calculation based on users' life goals and then they recommend products to invest. And the difference between putting your financial planning in RoboAdvisor is that uh, they usually have a bigger range of products that you can invest in. And meanwhile, if you go to a bank or a person, then they actually will try to sell you things that would benefit them more. So that's part of the trust that we want to bridge in the product that we built at Evergreen. Makes sense. Vincent, over to you. So I think when we talk about trust here at Onfido, there is, there is two parts of it. There is a part of what we are building and think about us as a stripe for identity verification. And there is also how we integrate with our clients. So I think when we look at trust, there is always kind of three things that try to influence trust. Trust is basically an emotion that you, you are trying to generate. It's always difficult because everything is digital. And there is no human in front of you, right, when you are building an app. So the, the way we try to think about it is first, security, second, privacy, third, transparency. So when you think about first, security, we look obviously at all the technical aspect of it. And even if you work in design, it's your responsibility to try to drive a bit on the product team to ensure that there is some key features. So encryption is one, right? When I think about all clients and the security, they usually have a risk engine. I try to take some signals that say they measure the probability of fraud based on your phone number, your email address, and so on. So the identity document is one of it. The big difference for us is we are an active signal. It's not something that you can get only in the backend. It's also something you ask users to do. And in that regard, the basic logic I try to apply most of the time is 
passive signal first, active signal last, because that way you already have a user who commit to your application, to your onboarding. And that's why you are, you ask active signals uh, later on. When it comes to privacy, that's very important, right? And especially right now, obviously there is a regulation that you need to follow. But I think even more than that, so we are building a product that use machine learning. And the whole point is you collect data and you analyze on it to be able to build your models. We try to delete that data very often. Actually, we have, I think the rule is every two weeks, we flush everything. So yeah, so that way we are, we ensure that we don't become a target because we don't hold that much data. And I think that's very important to make sure that you don't become a target. So everything you don't need can get rid of it. Obviously, a bank is very different because you need the trustability of users. But again, that's very important where you store that. Can you decentralize a little bit between regions? You know, all of these things. And then the transparency, third point. Everything has to, everything is really important in terms of how you share that with users. You need to share a little bit about what you are doing with the data, but probably not too much as well because they don't care. So there is really a balance to find between, between both. And the tone of voice is very important as well because you need to vulgarize things for them. It needs to be simple for them to understand what you are doing with this information. How you ensure their, their own safety, how you ensure the safety of their, of their assets. You know, all of that is very important for them and you need to translate that to them as well. So yeah, that basically is kind of the free point I'm thinking about that. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting point, uh, balancing how much you share about the data because people want to know to build that trust, but then <laughs> past a certain point, they probably don't care. So that's super interesting. And then tone of voice as well. Okay. And I actually think it would be good to explore a real life example, because I know that Shalika, you and Mackie have actually worked together on Payday, which is the business that Mackie worked for. I would love to understand, like, first of all, what you did. And then we can try and jump in to understand what you guys did on that project to build customer trust within the Payd shopping app. So yeah, we met Payd early this year, and uh, we were discussing about a uh, possibility to revamp their current app. So at that time, the Payd app uh, was focused more on payment and uh, settlement and also showing a transparent list of transactions to the users. And we had a discussion that there are competitors coming in the market, and we also want to take a look at the overall experience of shopping for their customers, right? So the overall experience is not only settlements and payments, it's also the idea of getting to know new trends, new merchants, or getting inspired about shopping and browsing for shopping itself. So that's the part that we are covering. So we created a shopping part of the app and the project was around seven months long. And it's a really close collaboration between a lot of stakeholders in PayD and from Star. What we wanted to do with the shopping and uh, inspiration, it's a two different tabs. Payd wanted to become kind of like the top of the funnel for our consumers so that Payd is not just payment method or you know looking at the transactional history of the the money that the consumer spends but also able to shop and discover uh, new items that that Payd provides with our partnered merchants so within the Payd app we were able to launch the browser within it and then inside the browser we would have all the merchant uh, website and able to essentially browse through uh, the merchant website and able to make purchase using uh, Payd's credentials which can be the usual Payd autobuy the afterpay method or also uh, leverage the new service that we were providing which was the uh, virtual which is the virtual pan virtual credit card that we provide through a Payd service so that we could essentially have this loop of customer discovering new items, buying, uh, shopping through our merchants, and then essentially see all the transactions that uh, they make within, within one single app to transform Payd into not just a fintech app, but more of a lifestyle app, essentially. And within it, uh, the, uh, we collaborated 
Wikipedia has collaborated with Star to actually figure out how to actually have that mechanism built inside the app, right? Essentially, so that the experience is as smooth as possible, so that、uh, one can go through this shopping tab and discover new items、uh, that we scrape from the merchant sites and whatnot, and then provide. A very ease of use kind of listing of all the product that potentially the user would, based on well, this is more of a future implementation, but based on their buying habits or the particularly the settings that、uh, they would set when they come to the inspiration tab, which、uh, they could identify that they like to shop around the sports genre or any type of six genre that we provided, so that. Based on that genre, user can have more or less a, like a personalized experience around those genres, and have us on the back end side push out、uh, certain products that is tailored to the customer's liking. Okay, awesome. And then specifically, how did you guys work on building that customer trust throughout the development of the shopping app? In the shopping and inspiration tab. We have various state our regular users and the premium users, where we provide just the right information for our regular users to shop within Payday app, right? But there's also kind of hints around the shopping experience where, if they want to kind of shop into this more of a premium state, they could do so by providing their Personal information, whether that is from the driver license or my number card, but essentially they don't need to actually do that. It still be in the the shopping experience, which they could do fully to do so. So we by giving them the right timing to get them into this path of the premium state, we've designed an element with around the shopping inspiration. To kind of hint users that you know they could upgrade to have this premium state. That's where we collaborated really closely together on what sort of timing that is、uh, that needs to be involved and what sort of design so that it's not really intrusive <laughs> during the experience. Right? We don't really want to be very in your face about like, okay, please give us your credentials. Right. That we did a lot of exploration, design exploration around that, how to have that transition smooth and so that it's not really in your face. And yeah, I think it was very beneficial for us to kind of have that back and forth communication, and also have our internal research knowledge going into it as well, so that any of the findings are based on the real users' insights and whatnot. Yeah, what I also find great in the collaboration is that in the end, sure, we want to、uh, gain more plus users. We want to make sure people upgrade, but we always stay within this Paydis idea of no hassle for the customer. So like hassle-free for the customer, which means when we want them to upgrade, we don't do it in your face.、Uh, we make sure it's a great time, it's the right timing to do so, and that's where. We make sure that there's trust built into the brand. Now I have a question, and th- the answer to this question may be no, but I'm just interested because we have people here from the West Coast of the US, from Japan, and from Europe. Do we think that trust needs to or should be built differently with people in different geographies? And I'd love to go over to Japan first with Mackie. Yeah, that's a great question. I think maybe I'm not. The right person to answer the Japanese perspective because I'm kind of half, you know, influenced by the American culture. So maybe too Western, <laughs> how would you say, kind of Westernized for、uh, most of the Japanese population. But what we do at Payday is very local, super local, right? That anything that we build for our consumers. Are related to all the domestic Japanese、uh, users, and that is probably the part of the success for、uh, Payday is that 
all of our risk engine, the machine learning that happens in the background, and all the service that we provide are super tailored to the culture of Japan that the acceptance rate of the service is very high. And it is one of the top most buy now, pay later application within Japan. That being said, do we do something, do we design the service, particularly for the Eastern culture versus the West? We don't necessarily think that way almost, um, right? Uh, just because that we have, as a designer, we have to put from the, the target user's perspective that it's almost kind of natural to kind of think in that way, right? But that being said, if we are super kind of focused on our just users and just our culture, that's when I believe uh, as a team, we would start to have this echo chamber of what can be like the best experience. What we do here at Payday, we try to be very diverse. And that's why I think every time when someone from outside kind of view our company, you know, everyone says, oh, it's very international and and it's all kind of, you know, all the people from a foreign country within your company. But to me, that is the pretty much the norm, <laughs> right? If you start to build this very monoculture kind of perspective way, it really becomes hard to find those gaps where and traps that we build as a designer, because we don't see those, right, as a monoculture. That's when when you first have diverse set of mindset going into the service that we design, that's when we start to see some of these things that might actually trigger something. And that is something I try to strive for within the team when I build a team of designers, right? I think there's a there was a good example not too long ago where I think Amazon um, or maybe this is something that we can't really <laughs> air on a podcast, but Amazon had this icon design where you know it's the smiley face logo and up at the top it was like a a blue tape for the box, right? Essentially, but that shape became kind of like like a nomenclature when you kind of looked back on it and see it installed within your home screen, it kind of mimics like a face, a bottom part of the Hitler's face with the mustache and the smiley face. And that apparently did not come through within the design team, right? Because there was, or at least that's what I think, there was not enough diverse set of mindset within the team to say and have that question come up. So those are like a good example of what those traps can be within the design team. Interesting. So it's important, regardless of who you're building for, it's still important to have the diversity in the design team to ensure that issues like that don't happen and you can build a product that is actually uh, not too specific for what like one group of people. I'd love to hear if Shaliko or Vincent have any other input on the question of whether the way we build trust should be different for different geographies. So I'm actually originally from Jakarta. I came to Germany eight years ago. I used to work in Jakarta as well. So I have this uh, kind of comparison now when, when creating a digital product. And in terms of trust, I think it's not that trust should be built differently, but how different markets see trust would be different with one another. So as star or, or as a designer, my, my angle is always it's important to that the product is personal and gives reassurance to the audience. And that's where trust comes from. So this is uh, it's personalized and then the user will trust it more. So if we're talking about fintech, uh, again, because it's money, uh, I think in different culture, there's always different, different way or different money habits, uh, different mindset on how financial wellness is seen, different mindset on what adulthood and outlook on money and retirement would be seen. And in general, how money relates to happiness would be different. And that's how personalizing a, a product and thus trust in fintech would be impacted. 
Another thing that I see is different is um, the type of audience that we are designing to could be very different. So some countries in Europe have like more older population than a lot of countries in Asia. So if I'm launching a digital product or a new fintech venture, that the go-to-market strategy would differ. And the last one, I would also say trust in data or how personal how personal data is used is also really different. So I know in a lot of Asian countries, using payment methods built within the mainstream uh, chatting app would work. It's the ease of use and everything centralized. That's really sexy in the market. But in Germany, that would definitely not fly. Like uh, people would see this differently. They would worry more about the whole private sphere or uh, spending habits being there in the chatting app. So trust also works differently. And thus, uh, how we design would really be targeted in how, how people trust in these different markets. Yeah, incredible insights from your experience with generations for different geographies it totally makes sense like and i can really see how like wechat in china would just wouldn't work in like germany vincent over to you do you have any thoughts on this topic a lot has been said but i do agree a lot with the diversity the audience i would say regarding trust and how you build that it depends on the remit of design but you usually trust a brand and so in that regard the communication of your product needs likely to be tweaked probably so you probably try to work with the marketing team, something like that, to try to ensure that the discovery of the product is very well made and answer to that audience as well, right? And then there is probably um, detail in the product that you, you want to update when you are addressing Western audience and Eastern audience. When I think about Japan, I think about the way they pay when they give a card with two, with two ends when they pay something where in the West, we don't do that, right? So there is definitely a few minor things that you probably can tweak to echo with that audience and, and making sure it feels familiar to them. That's a great point that you bring up because when, let's say if you're at the store and you give your credit card to the cashier and say, and then they swipe and whatnot, then when the cashier gives plastic credit card back to you, to be polite, and we have this honor system and whatnot, right, that they do uh, hand the card with a bow hand and to be, like, you know, respectful of their money as well as respectful for the customer, right? And to do so, uh, there is some honorific way of doing these kind of face-to-face communication. and. To translate that into a digital product is definitely a hurdle that a lot of the Japanese product do need to face, right? Just because that a lot of the digital apps are very Western driven and all the, you know, the new technology come from there. A lot of the things that a Japanese application, well, I wouldn't want to say like Japanese versus the Western uh, app, but they try to mimic, we try to mimic kind of this uh, same uh, look and feel, but it might not necessarily be the right uh, approach to do so, right? Just because that if we, you know, pretty much carbon copy what what the West is doing, there's less of that honorific kind of message. And there's some politeness missing to uh, some of the screens. And where to that, as a designer, uh, you would start to build more, more screens in between, whether that might actually make more friction between point A to B. It is the message that we need to convey to our consumer that to build trust and to build security almost, that it might not actually be a single button, but a multiple of screens or even a carousel to uh, lead them to the actual product, right? Next up, uh, Vincent, I'm gonna come over to you first. Uh, And I've heard actually from Mac as well, a discussion about friction. And we, sometimes friction can turn into frustration if we add too much friction. But what I'd love to ask Vincent is, what do UI designers need to understand about this uh, balance between those two forces, especially within the context of them trying to build trust with users? That's a very good question. It's usually something I try to advise clients on. So when we talk about friction, there is a lot to be said, but the 
it's usually something we think as bad and we try to remove friction. In fact, there is good and bad friction. You found both. So good friction will help me to prevent any errors. And it's also all roles to actually design experience that prevent errors. And there is bad friction, things that prevent me to achieve my goal as users as quickly as I could. The way I try to do that is kind of an equation. You have good friction and bad friction. And the good friction reduces the frustration. So bad friction increases the frustration. And the overall scoring is basically the frustration leads you to drop off or to not finish your action. So I would say as designer, it's very important to evaluate that. Bring a user research if you can, if you have some around you. If you don't, that's probably time for you to try to do that by your own and try to evaluate that with users. Sometimes with just, you know, a subset of users asking a form online within the app, you can actually, you know, bring a form that asks user about their level of satisfaction. And that can already give you a sense of their frustration at that exact moment. It's uh, Vincent brought up a really good point where the friction is both good and bad, right? On that, I have a really good example within Payday that we tried to implement with one of the service that we do, which is the virtual card, right? So for our uh, premium customers, uh, we provide a card and essentially it's a virtual visa card. And But to that, uh, there's lots of, we need to build a lot of security be- behind it, right? And a lot of those things uh, we can't really, as a designer, we really don't have any control over sometimes. But it is definitely something that we have to be very conscious of where sometimes, right, we as a user and when we provide a service, we have no control over what the user has installed in their smartphone that maybe one of the free app that they install as a game or something is a sniffing app, right? We just don't know. And those complications can essentially lead up to the very multiple things that we can't really control uh, that to be safe and to be secure about things, we have to be conscious of those apps. And to that, as a designer, we wanted to build this functionality that they could, the user can essentially copy their uh, 16-digit credit card number with one go, with one tap. But that <laughs> ended up being like a multi-sprint kind of discussion where if we do copy the credit card, the pasteboard that we have with their iOS and Android app, that's all global component that any of the app can see essentially without being masked. So if we have those illegal apps, in, you know, if the user has those illegal apps installed within their app, they might actually sniff that and ping home. And that's a loophole, right? So those things, as a designer, we work very closely and cross-cross, right? Uh, cross-functionally co- collaborate with the security team and also user researchers to kind of find those touch points and where they, you know, would actually use those functions and then drill down what is the importance in terms of ease of use versus the importance of security. And we have to sometimes like weigh both of that spectrum and say, hey, this would actually cause a lot of security problems. So let's not, even though it might be super easy and like a no brainer functionality to build within the app, let's not release it because it's like a super security kind of risk element that we might put vulnerability within the app. Make me think about something. Around two years ago, I was working with a challenger bank. And they were thinking about friction all the time. I think they had a very high drop-off. I think their conversion rate was around 40% or something like that. So they really wanted to improve on that. And they were thinking about friction very objectively, trying to measure the time it takes to go from point A to point B, trying to reduce the number of steps a lot. But they went a bit too far. They actually they removed a lot of explanation screen. And basically, users were so confused after that, the drop-off increased (laughs) and it had a negative effect on their goal. So I remember I was working with them and the first time I reviewed the flow, I was, I mean, I don't even know what type of document I need to take in picture here. I mean, there is just 
Is there just a screen to take a picture? I don't even know what I need to take a picture on. So yeah, we, in fact, added much more screen, something like five or six, and then the drop-off went better. So yeah, again, thinking about friction as something objective that is rational is not a good approach. At the end of the day, it's frustration, is an emotion. So it, it's very difficult to approach that like that way. There is some proxy, but at the end of the day, you the best is to understand your audience and, and try to be very clear about it and try. Got it. Next question, and this is an interesting one. Do we think it's possible to build too much trust with users? There is a very good talk online from Joe Gebia, that is uh, the founder of Airbnb around trust. And they actually run some experiment about users sharing a bit too much about themselves, where you actually you lose trust because you are sharing too much between users, right? So that's different use cases because it's users between users. Now, when it comes between users and businesses, I think it's a question on information architecture. I want to be able to go as deep as I would like to understand the concept and what you are doing with my data. And I would say the best business to do that, in my opinion, is Apple. If you are looking for privacy or security, they will even go as far as all the hardware stuff they've built for it, all the security enclave and, and stuff like that. And you can have that documentation online if you are looking for it. So that way, if you have that question, you have at least the ability to look for your answers. Now, sharing everything up front is definitely not a good practice. And in terms of information architecture, it would just be a mess. One thing that I could add to that is probably especially around marketing and design, where, again, with the honor system and providing users with the right information, we could almost provide too much information. And it becomes kind of like a... And we start to build this awkwardness with our consumers, saying that, hey, it might actually sound too easy or, you know, it might sound actually too too easy to be real that that's when we start to kind of almost lose trust by building too much trust, (laughs) if that makes sense. So we need to, as a design gatekeeper, kind of balance between the right timing, right amount of information at the right timing, so that we have this good balance between how people would go through the process, but also you know, gaining trust, but also at the same time, not giving them too much information that they would start to question some of these things. And then in the middle of the the flow, they might drop off because, you know, uh, you start to give them too much information that they really don't need. Totally agree. So I think it's more on timing and how we structure the information. So uh, if we give too much, it's not about there's going to be too much trust, but it's just not good timing and uh, it's going to be cognitive load or like it's too much cognitive load. So transparency doesn't mean that we we put everything up front, but we make sure that we provide really important information, digestible to the users and accessible and things that can be accessed later, they can find it easily or we provide like a clear help section or like a chat functionality. But in general, too much trust for me, I don't think there's too much trust, more like it's not structured well enough. Got it. Awesome. Now coming to the end of the episode, I'd like to ask a question when we ask this to the end of every episode of Shine, which is, how do we think that this theme of technology is actually making the world a better place? And so I'd like to ask you guys, how do we see design in fintech being used to actually improve the world? And I've purposefully, or we purposefully leave that quite open-ended. So your definition of making the world a better place can be different to, for different people. So yeah, I'd love to hear examples of that if you have any. I'm super excited about this kind of topic as well in fintech. So one thing I would say giving access to financial literacy now is easier than before with all these digital products and then people can save or invest as small as one euro per month. It used to be not possible when it was just banks or person financial advisors. So giving access to money and uh, financial planning to more people 
who used to can't have access to this. Uh, that's one thing. So like empowering people with money literacy, also addressing retirement gap. So people back then who just know that, okay, investing is risky and there's not much accessible knowledge on, on finance, then they would have, yeah, they would be in retirement and not have enough money to live. So that's another thing. And what I also love is that uh, this trend with green investing. So investing for uh, green energy or social causes now is also very easy. There are more uh, portfolios or ETFs in this type of uh, field. And it's easier for me to buy this than back then. So those are some things that I am excited to work on or be a designer. Yeah, I think, as it has been said, I think the fact that you empower the people to get ownership on their investment, so they can actually follow that and uh, keep track on that. You empower them to manage their financial, right? And I think that's really, really important. Before, it used to be someone else that do that for you. So now it's more distributed. All the time that you recover also from, from not having to go to the bank or not, not having to go somewhere, you can do everything on your couch from your house, with the time you need, with no pressure, with less stress, you know, that time is precious and you can use that elsewhere to do anything else you like. I think raising money, I will put that under under fintech as well, but raising money has been very easy right now during these times. And you can raise money for many things, to build your business, but also to support any causes. And, and that I think is really, really important. I think all the stuff that I taught this morning relates to design for the users as well as how to build design as a team within the company, within Payday. And as a manager of designers, we try to strive for uh, the things that I mentioned earlier in terms of like diverse sets of mindsets and, and thinking about the ethical responsibility that we put out when we do, you know, what design believes to be like a simple button, but there could be multiple complications and terrible things could go wrong on it, right? Uh, that I always tell all my designers to be very, ask the, the question of why we're actually doing this and be almost the devil's advocate. And <laughs> I believe a lot of the other teams that we work with, uh, they always <laughs> tell us that, you know, you guys are always hard to work with and, <laughs> and question, and questionings like these hard questions. And we just need this button. So we will just, you know, you guys just do it <laughs> kind of thing. Right. But I really believe that whether that is fintech or not, designer uh, needs to be responsible for what we put out to the world that it is about designing the right thing. Right. And designing the ethical way. Right and being responsible for that, that at the end of the day, I think it's it's what I wake up <laughs> to is something that as a company, as a payday, we enable consumer to kind of dream, provide room to dream, right? And what that means is uh, giving people the buying power, or whatever the thing that they want to do. And to me, that is like super important and it's a definitely like a positive impact for our society rather than, I don't know, like I've been in a bigger company, much, much bigger company where, you know, we were just force feeding ads. And that is pretty much essentially the thing that at the end of the day need to do, right? To put ads on whatever the thing that they're building. And well, I don't want to really, you know, compare A to B, but it is definitely the things that we are doing right now is providing the service to have a positive impact on society that I feel very kind of, you know, I want to wake up every morning and, and do the job that I, <laughs> I do because I feel very fortunate, honored, and to work in an environment that allows me to do the thing that I, I love doing, which is design. Beautiful. So, a few highlights. Mackie, you were saying actually twice about, as designers, it's our ethical responsibility to build trust with users. I really enjoyed that. Vincent, your point about 
the, that I thought was quite funny, actually, but also insightful, was the balance of the amount of information you give to users and actually too much users don't care. And then Shalika, your point about possibly that it's not possible to build too much trust uh, with users, it's more about the structure of the information that you share with users that could get in the way. And so I'd like to thank all three of you for coming on and sharing your design focus wisdom, sharing what you guys are working on, what you're passionate about in the space. And I think we have at least helped answer the question about how it's possible for us designers, how and why we should build trust in fintech products in order to make the world a better place. So thank you all for joining the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, Maki and Vincent, for being here. Yeah, definitely. It was a pleasure talking with you all. All right. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shine, a podcast by staff. For me, as a user of many fintech products, I wasn't aware of the amount of thought and strategy that goes into the process, specifically in onboarding. I think we did get to the bottom of the question, which is, do we need to build more trust through design? for fintech products. It was super interesting to understand that actually maybe it's not possible to build too much trust with fintech users. And I also particularly enjoyed Joe Vincent's point about, yes, we need to share information about what we're doing with user data with users in order to build trust, though not too much information, because actually there's a certain level of detail that users need. And if we give them too much detail, maybe they don't really care about that extended amount of detail. And that could add additional friction, or as we learned, frustration into the process. So I want to thank Vincent, I want to thank Mackie, and I want to thank Shalika for joining us. By the way, we had guests from the west coast of the US, which was Vincent. We had Mackie calling in from Tokyo and Shalika coming in from Germany. So we had three different continents on this call. I think that's super cool and I hope you do too. I, of course, want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shine. If you have any feedback for us, please leave that in the form of an Apple podcast rating or review. If you don't have Apple, just follow us on Spotify. That would be awesome as well. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>